When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bowling. Ben, today we've got a topic that's another kind of a uh, biography piece, I guess, on someone who's really interesting in the world of racing mm-hmm. and uh, a, a character that maybe you've heard his name, but you didn't really know a whole lot about the guy himself. And today we're going to describe the man himself. Yes, and that man is Frank Curtis with a K. Yeah, yeah. And you might know him better as uh, Frank Curtis of Curtis Craft or, uh, you know, from Midget Racing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Interestingly enough, Frank Curtis is a little bit anomalous in the story of racing in that he is not known as a race car driver. No, that's right. He's uh, he's in fact, you know, he's got a couple of awards that we want to talk about later. But he was inducted into uh, some Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I don't know how to say this. I guess maybe he's a member of the Hall of Fame, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's in one case, he's the only non-driver to be inducted. So, you know, when we get to his awards, you know, later in the show. Um, that's kind of like an interesting side note, I guess, is that, you know, of, of everybody in the Hall of Fame for that particular genre, he's the only non-driver that's ever been inducted. So, yeah. interesting stuff. It's definitely saying something. But as always, let's start at the beginning. Uh, Frank Curtis is born in Colorado in a town called Crested Butte, right? Mm-hmm. In, in uh, January of 1908. Yeah, that's right. And he's born to a uh, family that, well, his uh, his family came from Croatia, I think you mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Where his father was a jeweler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did a lot of precision metal work. And when he came to the United States, he became a blacksmith, which kind of makes sense, I guess, working with metal again. A little bit more crude, I guess, in that, you know, he's working with, like, building horseshoes and things like that. You know, Sure, building iron implements. Yeah, and one exciting thing that he did that, uh, that Frank Jr., uh, jumped on right away was, you know, of course his father's Frank Sr., he jumped on right away was that, you know, people were starting to bring automobiles into his blacksmith shop. Right. And this makes sense if we think about the time in 1908, early days of the automobile. Uh, it makes sense that you would take a car or I think they may even still call them horseless carriages or something at that time. They did. Uh, to a blacksmith, to a 
someone with a forge. A forge, maybe. A forge. How about that? An anvil and a hammer. There and, we go. And a really hot fire. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, he would work on, uh, not only automobiles, because mm-hmm. those were kind of the rare occurrence, but it was mostly horse buggy. and buggy and, yeah. you know, t- that type of thing. The, you know, horseshoes, like we mentioned, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of mechanical hardware that, you know, the, the buggies re- required. And, uh, and of course, Frank was right there, and he, Frank Jr. was right there mm-hmm. with him. And he learned along the way, like, how to work with things, how to, how to fabricate metals, how to, uh, how to make things, uh, look the way he wanted them to look, right? Right, yes. And this is a skill that uh, leads to what could fairly be called an obsession. Yeah, but you know what? He's really young at this point because the yeah. family, it, was, it wasn't until 1922 mm-hmm. when the family moved to Los Angeles, California. And in 1922, just to give you an idea, Frank at this point, he's Frank Jr., He's only 14 at this point. So he's got this early obsession. It's, it's prior to the time when he's 14 when he really gets involved with cars. And, um, in 1922, when they, when they do move to LA, he decides to, uh, he, he lies about his age, Ben. Yes, to get a job yeah. at Don Lee Cadillac. Yeah, which is really kind of cool. And he gets in as a fabricator. And, uh, you know, he gets in early, like, as a, like a body shop guy, I guess is probably the better way to say that. Yeah. And again, still really early on, you know, 1922. Think about the Cadillacs in 1922, Ben. How cool would that be to work with those when you're 14 years old? Beautiful. Really, really cool. There's no way he could afford one, though. His first car was actually a Model T from 1916. Yeah, and, you know, the funny thing is they realized early on, and this kid's really young, and they don't know it. He's kind of snowballing them, right? He's, right. he's or snowing them over. I don't know how you say that. What's the, what's the term uh, for that? Pulling wool over their eyes. That's a better way to say it. He's pulling the wool over the eyes of the boss, right? So he's 14, and they say, you know what? You've got a real knack for this body work. We're going to have you work on a, a special car for us. And he builds something. He starts working on... They have midget car bodies that they're working on. Now, this is a really important move or step in the whole, um, this whole process. And he Ooh. actually builds another car for them as well. You know, the, the, those were the race cars, of course. He also builds another car for them that I, I think listeners will appreciate if they look it up. It's called the 1937 Curtis Tommy Lee Special. Oh, yes. And, uh, this is the boss's car, really. Ooh. He's building the, he's building a, a new body for a Cadillac for his boss. And it's a, it's a really interesting design, but it looks like the Auburn Cord design of the day, which was a, you know, that boat tail speedster type yeah. vehicle. And he made a Cadillac look like that. So, you know, you can tell that these guys, this guy's really talented. He's really, he knows what he's doing and he's very, very young. Mm-hmm. And let's just think again about the amount of skill, the level of skill rather required to modify a Cadillac. Yeah. I mean, of course it's 1937 at that sure. point. So he's a little bit older. You know, he's, he's definitely, um, you know, gone through the ranks, I guess, in the body shop there at the Cadillac business, right? Right. By this by this point he's been fabricating for more than a decade. And what he's doing is he's working on these these midget car bodies for, you know, these uh he's reworking these bodies, I guess, for the Don Lee's team. Mm-hmm. And he finally think, thinks to himself as many entrepreneurial businessmen do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to make my own company and and do this, you know, for my own profit, for my own reasons. And that's exactly what he did. And that's when he founded the company that they called Curtis Craft. Right, and that's Curtis Craft with two Ks, like uh, Frank Curtis's last name and Craft, the cheese company. Uh, so, as you said, Scott, late 1930s, he's building his own midget car chassis, which uh, which is just the term for the vehicles. Just to be clear. Oh boy. Oh, you think I'm too sensitive? No, that's okay. I mean, I, when you say we're, we're midget racing, I don't think that's what we're picturing, really. But right. who knows? 
Well, we just, well, I just want to. Yeah, let's yeah. cover all bases, right? Yeah. How about that? So, all right. So, so in 1939, now this is, now he's already building these, these midget car chassis in the 1930s. And in 1939, he makes his first trip to the Indianapolis 500. And while he's there, some guys pick him up because they know what he's there for. You know, he's a fabricator. Right. So yeah. he's there, you know, and, for business, I guess. And uh, they pick him up and they have him rework a few of the race car bodies that were used in the Indianapolis 500. And, of course, you know, he loves this. You know, this is exactly what he was there to do. So by 1941, which is just two years later, um, he builds and and enters his first IndyCar into competition in the Indy 500. And this is back in 1941. Mm-hmm. Now, the success in Indy won't happen until later, but, um, you know, there's... A, Few other things he does along the way, like in the late 1940s, where he's still building Indy cars. Don't don't the get me wrong. The whole time, yeah, the whole time he's still building Indy cars. But um, he starts building these these fiberglass body sports cars in the late 1940s and early 1950s, and he's, sure. he's, he's doing this in Glendale, California. Right, and this is well, this is like 48 to or 49 to about mid 1950s. Yeah, mid 1950s. So he's a busy guy at this point because the IndyCar thing has got him really really wrapped up and uh 1949 like we mentioned that's the year before something really impressive happened because in 1950 Ben 1950 was the year that the dri- uh, the driver of one of his cars won the Indy 500 for the first time. Mm. So that's a big deal to be the chassis builder for a car that won the Indianapolis 500. That was 1950 and it was uh Johnny Parsons and oh. can I mention something about Johnny? That I, I I just feel like I, I think it's something we have to talk about just briefly. Now, Let's do a sidebar. All right. Now, Johnny Parsons, he wasn't a particularly um, winning driver, I guess. I mean, he won lots of races along the way, but um, he never won any big championships or anything like that. But he did win the Indy 500. I'm sorry. He did win one championship in uh, 19, I want to say 1949. He won the AAA championship, which I want to mention in just a minute, the AAA championship car season. Um, but he's the, he has the distinction, Johnny, Johnny Parsons does, of being the only Indianapolis 500 winner to have his name misspelled on the Borg Warner trophy. That's a dubious distinction, now, Scott. I know it is. You know, that's <laughs> the big trophy that they always trot out, you know, that has the faces carved in and has every winner from 1911 all the way through today. Uh-huh. He's the only one on that entire trophy that has his name misspelled on there because he has an unusual spelling. Now, the silversmiths, they carved in Johnny, as we probably would think it is, like J-O-H-N-N-Y. Okay. Um, Johnny Parsons spells his name J-O-H-N-N-I-E. So you could see the mistake there. I mean, it's an easy mistake to make. It's but, understandable. Well, you think they would check something like that before carving it into silver and putting it on a, a you know, an eternal trophy? Yeah, yeah. I would, I would think, having never been a trophy maker, but well, I guess you know. One, one quick thing before yeah. we move on, because yeah. I this kind of goes along with the Johnny Parsons thing, because um, I mentioned that he won, he did win one championship, and that was the 1949 AAA championship car season. Mm-hmm. And AAA actually does refer to the. You know the AAA that we think of today as the uh, as the the road service. The um, oh okay the, yeah the American Automobile Association is what it used to be called. It was founded in 1902, but the original purpose of that whole thing was to improve roads and, and highways and things like that. It was founded uh, by I think it was nine motor clubs. And I think it was in the Chicago area, like in the north, I suppose, because I think there were clubs from New Jersey in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were something like 1,500 members. 
but they also became a race sanctioning body in the early 1900s, and not a lot of people will know that. So yeah, I'm one of the people who didn't know that. Early, like in 1902, so the year they're founded, they actually were the sanctioning body that that covered the Vanderbilt Cup, which was an international automobile race held in Long Island. It's mm-hmm. a famous race. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people have heard of the Vanderbilt sure. Cup. And uh, they, they actually were sponsors of the Indy 500 through the 1950s, which is important for this because that's the tie-in with with Frank Curtis and Curtis Craft. Right. And um, I think it was after the Le Mans disaster in 1955 that they decided that it was kind of, um, it was time for them to kind of back away from racing sanctioning, which is probably a smart move on their part. <laughs> and um, not that they were involved with that. I'm just saying that it was time to back away from it and that they wanted to prioritize their goals. You know, it was about highways and it was about improving transportation. Mm-hmm. And then they brought it back around in, I think it was 2005 or 2006, with a NASCAR sponsorship. So they're kind of back into it again a little bit, you know, kind of sure. putting their toe in the water, I guess. That's probably a great way to say it. Let's uh, let's talk just a little bit about uh, Curtis Craft. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one one thing that a lot of people might not know about this is that when when Curtis Craft was created, when Frank Curtis made this, uh, it wasn't the only company he would make in his lifetime. I just want to put that on the radar. Uh, Curtis Craft, the company, uh, made over 500 midget cars, but they also made kits, Scott. Yeah, they made a lot of kits, didn't uh-huh. they? Even more kits than they made cars. Yeah, which is, at first glance, that sounds kind of strange for a racing company, doesn't it? I guess so, maybe. I mean, because then you're allowed to send it, you can ship them out, and the teams are allowed to do with it what they want, right? They've got a, yeah. good, they've got a good basis, a good starting point. So he made something like, I mean, total, it was nearly 1,200 midget kits, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, kits and cars combined, I suppose. Right, you know, all like, together, but the majority of those were kits. Yeah, yeah, so not the, not the ready-to-race type. I mean, I think there were like 550 complete cars that they built at the factory. Yeah. And uh, they they did pretty well. They performed pretty well because the the chassis had a smaller version of what's called the Offenhauser motor. Mm-hmm. And uh, the you can check out the National Midget Auto Racing Hall of Fame, and they have nothing to say but praise about this engine. Exactly. And the Offenhauser motor was the one that was paired with the car, the Indy car. And the Indy car, just to give you like a kind of a wrap up on the Indy car. Thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cause this happened throughout the 1950s. So 1950 all the way through 19, I want to say 63. Mm-hmm. Um, he built something like 120 Indy 500 cars in that time period. So 120 cars came out of the, the Chris Craft factory and five of those cars, Ben, it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just, uh, Parsons that won. Oh yeah. There were five winners. He won it five times, which is a, a big deal to win it even once, really. But that Offenhauser engine, that's a, uh, that's a winning combination, I guess, is what they say. They, they said it was a, uh, an unbeatable combination later. Yeah. And they, uh, they said this because if you think about it, um, midget car is uh, going to have a higher power to weight ratio than the an indie car with the same engine. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. 
people that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, exactly. It's a very, very lightweight car, and it's a strong engine, and I'm sure that you know they had that thing tuned right to the maximum. So it's a, the, the, the formula, I guess, is that it's a very, very strong engine, you know, maybe just a couple of gears. Yeah, and uh, and very very lightweight. So it's a it's a brutal machine to drive. It's really really fast. There, yeah, and even today, you know, the sprint cars that we see today, because you know he built more than just. Um, I want to I want to list a couple of things that he built, um, because it wasn't just the cars that we've mentioned so far. I mean, he built, of course, he built midget cars. Right. Um, and now, just to give you an idea, these midget cars now, which they still race, uh, they have something like three hundred to four hundred horsepower, and they weigh a thousand pounds. So they're extremely fast, extremely small. Um, but they're in, often like dirt track cars. You know, they're often run on dirt tracks at smaller, smaller venues. And, uh, also quarter midgets, which were the same thing for younger kids to race. I had a friend in the late seventies, early eighties that raced quarter midgets. Oh, cool. Which was really, really cool to watch. It was such a small track, but it was really neat that my friend had a, what I thought was a real race car. You know, mm-hmm. it really was. It was a, it's like a go-kart that's a little taller. And way faster, it seemed. They were really yeah. quick. Um, and then there are also sprint cars that they built. Mm-hmm. They built uh, sports cars that we mentioned, which were in complete car form. Just a few of those, not really many at all. And right. then he also built kit car sports cars, which you know were for the do-it-yourselfers that would like to do it out in the garage. Um, Indy cars that we mentioned. And, boy, one last note. Can I mention one last note on Indy cars? And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'll just say Indy cars and Formula One cars. But the Indy car thing... This is, I promise it's the last thing on this. Well, I think it is. Oh, no, man. It's too interesting. Here's, here's Don't how, limit yourself. Here's how prevalent they were in the 1950s, the, the, uh, the Curtis Craft cars. 
24 out of the 33 starting cars at the Indy 500 races were Curtis Craft built cars in the year, in these following years, 1952, 53, 54, and 55. 24, Ben, out of 33 cars that started were, were Curtis Craft cars, were Curtis mm-hmm. Craft chassis cars. That's, that's incredible. That's a huge it's number. It's nearly a monopoly. It, it's, Almost that way, that's right. Yeah, and uh, let's talk about some of his uh, specific stuff, like the Curtis sports car sure. in 1949. Uh, pretty cool. That's the that's called the first sports car that Curtis built in sort of maybe not production quality or quantity, but more than one. And uh, it was the cover car for the very first issue of Motor Trend magazine. How cool is that? That's, a, that's kind of a neat little fact, right? I mean, yeah. it's an easy place for people to go and look at it and be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at a photo of it right now. It's an interesting design. I mean, if it's this uh, drop top that I'm looking at, yeah. I think that's the one. I think you're right. Very, very cool. Um, which one is this? Is this the 500S, I think, maybe? Is that the one? Uh, the 500S is 1953. Okay, so. so I have my models mixed up, but he built a few different models, like the 500S. Right. The 500M, I think, mm-hmm. was the was the kit car version of that. Right. Um, so a lot of different sports cars, and people really enjoyed them because they were – Lightweight. They were made of this uh, sort of new. Uh, they called it glass fiber, but it was really we call it fiberglass now. The newfangled thing, yeah. in automotive sort, fiberglass. Sort of like that. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, really interesting setups. I mean, and he could do with it what he wanted because it's his own company, right? And uh, let's take a note here to think about the engineering innovation that fiberglass was. This is a huge win for material science at this point. Mm-hmm. You know. Fiberglass is sort of this miracle material that you can mold into almost whatever shape you wish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he had uh, it was kind of like a blue sky um, operation for him. He could do whatever he wanted with this thing. I mean, of course, he's a he's he's very very skilled at metal forming as well. Right. It's just this could be done a lot quicker, you know, with uh, with molds where they spray in or lay in the different layers of fiberglass. And we've talked about that before, I think, haven't we? Like yeah. How to, how to produce fiberglass bodies or something similar, anyway? Right. Well, we've talked about carbon fiber, which has some similarities. Yeah, it's very very similar. It's just different different materials that you lay into that mold, but right. um, and different curing processes, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, it, this was. A, a, a perfect example of, of the way to use something brand new, a new material, mm-hmm. and it's lightweight, and you know it's everything that he wanted because it, was, it made his road cars extremely fast. Now the 500s, speaking of extremely fast, has some really interesting stuff about it. Uh, its design heavily borrows from Indy Roadsters, mm-hmm. and uh, it has a 5.8 liter Cadillac engine. Uh, two Curtis Craft 500s were actually at the 1955 12 Hours of Sebring. That is really cool. So he's taking the race car design and putting it into your hands on the street, really. It's, I mean, or similar, a similar design, I suppose, right? Yeah. So a lot of the technologies, I, I would, I personally, Ben, I would trust a car that was built by Curtis Craft. I think that, you know, that guy knows what he's doing, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Well, one, okay, one thing that we would be remiss not to mention, uh, the Curtis Craft with the, with that, Cadillac engine mm-hmm. I talked about. Yeah. Uh, it didn't finish due to engine problems. Oh, okay. Well, I, I mean. I'm sorry. But the other one, the other one had a 5.2 liter Lincoln engine and it uh, came in 13th overall, but first in its class. Not bad. 
Not bad. Not bad at all. So he's doing well in the world of racing, and uh, you know he's got this uh, this production car thing going on as well. Uh, so you know he's got his hands in a lot of different things, and we're we're getting to about what the late 1950s. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? There's one last thing on on his uh, production cars. Yeah. He sold the design, I think. Oh, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To a guy named uh, Frank Muntz, is that it? Madman Muntz. Is it Frank Muntz? I think it's it, Muntz. Uh, hang on, let me let me grab it here because I know the guy you are talking about. Yeah, I think he, they call him Madman Muntz, and yeah. uh, he designed a car that, that, or he used the the Curtis Craft vehicle as a a basis for his design of the Muntz Jet. Right, I think they called it yeah. the Muntz Road Jet. Yeah, he uh, he made about seventeen of these vehicles, and then he sold the license to Madman Muntz, and then Muntz used it to take it to design Airborne. That's it. Now Muntz was into everything. He was into electronics, I think, wasn't he? He mm-hmm. he would do like car stereo systems, televisions. Um, I think all kinds of different things. Autom- automobiles, of course. Well, he was. Scott, he was mad. <laughs> yeah, there's some funny photos of that guy. I think he would do these kind of wacky commercials. Yeah. He was, uh, he was kind of a nut, but I mean, thus the name, right? Kind of a showman, he, I think. He definitely was. And you know what? I bet he dressed well also. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together, and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
And I would bet that Madman Muntz was a uh, was a gadget guy as well. Oh sure. I mean, he's an electronics guy. He's uh-huh. he's taking cars, you know, production cars and reworking them, kind mm-hmm. of these one offs. Yeah. Um, he seemed like that kind of guy. I mean, look at any of these photos or the stuff that he had done. You know, any of the. Uh, um, television commercials. I don't know if you can find any of those online or not, but uh, just the photographs of the guy alone are, are really hilarious. You should check yeah, it out. Yeah, we might even uh, do a little blog post on Madman Months if you want to check it out on carstuffshow.com. Yeah, that'll be coming up. I'm sure I'm sure that we can find some new and, and exciting info about Madman Months. But um, So we're getting to like the late 50s, right? Right. Uh, we're getting to, we left off on 1955, and then something big happened in 1956. Yeah, he left his own company, right? He, yeah, but he, he but he went out to what to he, do something worthwhile. He went out to start his uh, an, another company with a very similar name. Yeah, very very similar name. But you know, what, what was the new new name? Uh, uh, Frank Curtis Company, as opposed to Curtis Craft. Okay, well, you know what this amounts to is that somebody was interested in buying his business. Yeah. And in 1956, he sold the uh, the midget car side of the business to uh, in the late 1950s, 1956, and um, they probably gave him a lot of money. And he said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll do that," but and they said, "We want to keep the name." And he said, that's not a problem. I'll just start a new company that's very, very similar in name. Right. And does basically the same thing. Right, yeah. Uh, by the end of that year, by the end of 1956, Frank Curtis uh, has designed a new midget roadster, and there are 14 cars getting built for the 57 Indy. Yeah, so he's right back on his game, right? Because mm-hmm. we mentioned that he built cars, I think, all the way until 1963, uh, I think that was in, in 63 that was when the last Indy car was at the uh, at the Frank Curtis company mm-hmm. in, in their shop. So, you know, he continued what he was doing right from the very beginning. He just kind of branched out. He probably got a, a pretty nice payday to uh, to sell out his original company. Oh, yes, sir. Which he did and you know, just moved on with something new. So, he he didn't really feel like uh, he had to be tied to that first company to do what he does. Right, not necessarily risk averse. They uh Frank Curtis company also built uh one fourth midgets and they made go karts. And here's something interesting. I don't know if you heard about this, but uh he built he built spare parts for Lockheed. Yeah, you know I did. And that that's why the nineteen sixty three date is key because he quit working on the Indy cars at the uh at the the shop there in 1963, and in August of 1963, that's when Lockheed Corporation came to him mm-hmm. with uh, with this idea to build parts. Uh, and now it says start carts and spares. Right. What are start carts and spares? Do you happen to know? I don't know if, if I know what that is. Uh, I I think that I think that the start cart is the uh, is something that's used to help the SR71 Blackbird. Get off the ground. Now, isn't that cool? Now, he's, he's working on, and this is 1963, he's working on the SR-71 Blackbird project for Lockheed. And that's a huge deal. I mean, even if you've got a contract for a small part of that, which he did. Yeah. The, uh, the start carts and spares, and I don't know what exactly that means. Right, and it was probably classified at the time, too. I, w- I would think so, because it wasn't really until, you know, I want to say the, the 1980s when we really started to hear about the SR-71. Right, and yeah. That's when it kind of became eh, public knowledge, I guess. Maybe there was mention of it a little bit ahead of that, but 
I really didn't hear about it until the 1980s. Even, in fact, the late 1980s. We know it was a UFO when it was first flying around in the <laughs> 60s and early 70s. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, he's got this big project and that actually kind of carried him through the 1980s. I mean, it went mm-hmm. right through until the project was ended. So, well, his, yeah, his company kept working through the 80s. I he retired. So. He did. He retired in the late 1960s, right? Yeah, he retired in 1968 and he passed the company on to his son, Arlen. Yeah, his son Arlen, who uh, kind of picked up the family business. Um, his dad was age sixty, and I guess he thought that was time to get out. So, you know, people retired a lot earlier. It seemed like in the past, sixty was the, the day you're out. You know, no kidding. But also, people live a lot longer now. That's true. That's uh, that's another way to look at it, Ben. You're right. So, you know, Arlen not only was working on the uh, the SR seventy one Blackbird stuff for Lockheed, yeah. he was also starting to develop uh, some stuff for drag racing and water skiing. So he's got this this kind of uh, this watercraft side of the business that he's developing now as well. In fact, they started to work on the uh, what's called the world's fastest prop-driven boat. Yes, and set a world record uh, that I I think, if I'm not, I checked this before we went on air, I don't think it's been beaten yet. I would doubt that it has, because the record is 229 miles per hour, and the driver, it wasn't Arlen, it was, you know, Arlen built the boat, of course. Right. Uh, the driver was Eddie Hill, and I think Eddie Hill has other speed records as well, so, um, or did at one time, so... Uh, this world's fastest prop-driven boat is still held by, uh, I believe it's still held by, we're gonna have to double check this, but, right. uh, still held by, you know, a boat that was developed and built by the Frank Curtis Company. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't long after that, that, uh, they decided to sell the boat business and concentrate entirely on the SR-71 project, which may have been a mistake, right? Well, you know, uh, the SR-71 program was retired in 1989. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, business kind of dried up for uh, the Frank Curtis company. But his son, uh, kind of maybe one of the last few things we want to mention here, his son uh, started to rebuild some of his dad's old cars, which is kind of a, a nice pastime, I guess. I don't know if he can really make a, a whole business out of that, but I think he did. Well, yeah, he got he started uh, limited production with a few uh, some selected or curated models of cars and parts that Frank Curtis Jr. had built. So it wasn't like he was taking, you know, like I can find two cars out there and I'm going to restore and build those and sell them, and that's my business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was more like he's going to reproduce the parts. He's going to uh, reproduce some of the the makes and models that his dad was building and uh you know say like i'm going to offer some of the stuff that my dad offered back in the day yes and uh let's see you know scott this is kind of a sidebar but i have this information about midget car racing i just want to put out there i tell you what that's not a bad thing because um i guess how about the last thing we do here is we mentioned that you know i guess what you would really recognize him for was that he was he was the best midget car builder in the world really i mean we, we can Outright say that. I mean, yeah, categorically. I, I, think, I, I think that everybody would agree with it, with that. Yeah. Um, five-time Indy 500 winner as a builder, fabricator, designer, sports car builder. I'm just kind of an all-around guy. We can mention awards later, but what's the uh, what's the midget oh, yeah. car? Thing? Okay, so midget car racing. Uh, this comes in. It you'll find people who say it officially begins in August of 33, but I think there's some variance there. So let's just say early 30s. The first governing association was the Midget Auto Racing Association, but I felt like I was remiss in this part of our show because I didn't say the general stats of a midget car. They generally have 300 to 400 horsepower, but they only weigh 1,000 pounds. Whoa. Lightweight. Yeah, lightweight. lightweight. So that's what we were saying. 
when they were uh, when we were saying the power to weight ratio. Of course, for anybody who is really thinking about the numbers here, that makes them dangerous. There's not really a way to get around saying that. No, no, they're definitely dangerous. But you know, now in modern day, they have uh, roll cars, they uh, roll cages rather, and they they have the usual safety concerns that you would see in any other legit racing. I guess when we say dangerous, we mean potentially dangerous in that they're fast, they're lightweight, they uh, they like to roll over on turns if you go a little too fast, if you know what I mean. They, they like yeah. to flip the, uh, the, the sprint cars. Um, I think it's sprint cars that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Those are the ones with the uh, the giant wings on top. Exactly. Uh, they look like the World of Outlaw cars, I think is what they call them occasionally. <laughs> that's the that's the series name. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people say it's like the flying nun t- cap on them. Oh, you know, like the, uh, what's it, those are called wimples. Uh, yeah, okay. I've never heard it called wimples. That's interesting. I think that's the name for like the nun's habit. Oh, 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 I thought, <laughs> I thought you were saying the racing series. No, no, no. That that I think that's the name for the, the nun uh, really? headgear. Really? So it's like a wimple hat on top of a sprint car. Is what it looks like. And, yes. Uh, okay. I don't. What like a the, good idea. How could I, that ever go wrong? I don't like to call it wimple. I'm just going to say the uh, the giant wing on top. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, you'll see those things roll and flip, and they get mm-hmm. up. You know, they'll they'll launch themselves in the air as high as the fence. You know, so they're yeah. uh, they're dangerous in that way. But a lot of times, these guys just get out and walk away from their accidents. Well, yeah. And a sports car is is like any other powerful force. You know, if you want your car to respect you. You have to respect it. As cliche as that might sound. Sure. In the wrong hands. <laughs> there we go. That's yeah. maybe the way to say With it, great right? horsepower comes yeah. great responsibility. <laughs> that's right. All right. So any more on, uh, any more on, uh, uh that's it. Yeah. Midgets let's... or quarter midgets or go-karts or any of the other stuff. Uh, how about, oh. uh, how about Curtis Craft boats? Oh man. Okay. Go for it. But, but my caveat is that we should strongly consider exploring some of these other topics in newer episodes. Absolutely. We should. Okay. Cause it seems like there's a lot of spinoff material here. And I think, uh, I think some of this is ripe for a full podcast. Now, the last thing that I, I'd like to mention, I think today is that, you know, we, we talked about some awards that Frank Curtis has won throughout his career, right? Yes. And a lot of these come later in the, later in the, the game because, you know, of course, I mean, throughout your your history, I guess, when you're doing these types of things, you're so involved with what you're doing, and you're really building your name, you're building your reputation. Sure. He has that reputation we mentioned as being, uh, a lot of people say, the best midget car builder ever that's ever been on planet Earth. That's mm-hmm. a very pretty bold statement, I know, but that's true. Um, well, just to give you an idea, he's got three pretty significant awards to his name. He was inducted into the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame in 1994, he was inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame in 1999, and then we mentioned this one early on. Um, in 1986, he was inducted into the National Midget Auto Racing Hall of Fame, and that's the one that's really impressive because, I mean, they're all impressive, but right. he's the first non-driver to ever be inducted into that that particular Hall of Fame, the National Midget Auto Racing mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. So that is a significant award for that one. I mean, not yeah. it's not easy to get into that, and that shows that you know they had great respect for him and what he did. Yeah, because he is literally instrumental, one of the cornerstones of that of that racing. Um, Scott, if if you want to close out, I've got some listener mail. Sure, let's do it. Okay, uh, this listener mail comes to us from Wayne R. Now we've been getting uh, we've been getting a lot of email recently from Australia. Australian listeners. I wonder why the uptick on Australian listeners. I I don't know, but I I love it, uh, and that's why we're learning to 
correctly pronounce the names of Australian <laughs> That's towns. That's right. We had a little pronunciation key sent to us to uh-huh. a couple weeks ago. Yes, and uh, you can, if you haven't heard that episode, do do check it out. Um, so Wayne writes to us and says, Hi, Scott and Ben. I listened to the episode on the history of trucks some time ago, and it's been on my mind since. Don't worry, Scott. We're not in trouble. He said, toward the end of the episode, you guys hinted at the possibility of a sequel based on similar or smaller size pickup trucks or cars, like the El Camino or the Ranchero, etc. Ooh, we love those. Yeah, and he said that episode was also going to feature Ben's El Camino story, which I guess we've hyped a little. Um, he has a suggestion. Wayne says, my suggestion for such an episode is to look into the very similar Australian ute. Oh, yeah, you know what? I know exactly what he's talking about. Is that the Holden car? Uh, yeah, he goes... Uh, here in Australia, any vehicle with a front cab and tray behind is still classed as a ute, uh, including pickup trucks. And manufacturers such as Ford and Holden have been producing the traditional Australian ute since the 30s. And he's got some great information on the ute. And, uh, Wayne, you did something very flattering. Uh, Scott, in his email, and I wish I could read the whole thing, he's got a quick search of my own on HowStuffWorks.com brought up an article on the 5759 Ranchero, which is said to have used the Aussie Ute as inspiration. In the same article, the 59 El Camino is also said to have followed the Ranchero concept. Interesting. 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 Yeah, yeah, those are uh, really cool vehicles. I like... Uh you know the functionality of them, I guess. You know that it's kind of a uh, it's a car when you want it to be, it's a truck when you want it to be. They're they're really cool. Yes, and uh, now Wayne goes on with some more information that I think we could save for our upcoming uh, small size pickup truck or pickup vehicle podcast. Well, let's hang on to it then. Okay, because he's got a couple follow up emails. Oh, and one other thing he says, uh, he's got some links for us to check out here too. Wayne from Melbourne ended with saying thank you for the hours of enjoyment. Oh, very nice. And uh, congratulate me on a new podcast. Well, thank you, Wayne. Uh, we hope that you stay tuned because we have both your emails out here and uh, act surprised when you get mentioned on our upcoming episode. As a matter of fact, gather your friends around and pretend that it just randomly came on and say, well, you know, I'm kind of a big deal in the States, guys. Yeah, that's me. I'm uh, I'm Wayne of uh, the Car Stuff Podcast. <laughs> yeah, introduce yourself that way. Let's see how far it gets you. <laughs> It'll probably not get you too far. Oh, well, you never know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We're not making any promises. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. But thanks, Wayne. That's a good note. And uh, I'm going to check out some of those links that you sent as well. Yes. And uh, while we're doing that, we are going to bid you adieu, bid you good day. We are heading out to do some research. And we hope that you have enjoyed our podcast on the life of Frank Curtis Jr., as well as some history of midget car racing. Uh, if you have any questions, you can find us on Facebook where we car stuff HSW. You can also drop us a line on Twitter and, oh wait, that's right, we have a website. Yeah, we've got a really cool website. It's carstuffshow.com and you can get the podcast there. You can look at some of the blog posts that we've been putting up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's videos. Mm-hmm. Um, you can learn all about Ben and I if you really want to do that. See some photos. Just a lot of stuff to kind of uh, kind of have fun with on the site. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. place to go, and it's a place where you can also uh, tell us if you if you just want our opinion about some stuff. Then you know, hit us up. We might even write a blog post for you. Yeah, that's right. Again, no promises, but uh, if you'd like to send us some more information, send us uh, some cool car stories, especially. Oh man, if you have a midget racer, 
That would be great. And send a photo. That's really cool. I'd, I'd really be interested to see someone who has, you know, quarter midget photos or sprint car photos or if you own one of these Curtis Craft cars, like a street car. That'd oh, be yeah. really cool. Oh, man. They're yes. pretty rare. They are pretty rare, so it's a diamond-in-the-rough situation. But if you do, uh, do not hesitate to drop us a line. Our email address is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.